Welcome to the SDG Talks podcast, where we discuss all things around the sustainable development goals and the roadmap to 2030. We are your co-hosts, James and Kevin, here to take you along the SDG ride. We hope you enjoy today's SDG Talks podcast. I've been telling young men in Kenya, especially those who are limited to opportunities like education, that it is important for them to go to school. Education is not for boys, it's not for girls, it's for all of them. So when one goes to school, get education, he or she will be empowered in one way or the other, will get skills, and this skill will help her or him to get employed or to do something practically to earn a living. So my agenda on this is that I've been trying to give equal opportunities for them. SDG Talks in the house, welcome back. Really insightful conversation today with Sammy Mwanja, who's based in Elorit, Kenya. We're going to talk about the organization that he started called Tumaini, which means hope in Swahili. We'll hear about the work that he does around safe water to rehabilitate springs, working to implement green space to provide trees, to take carbon out of the air and provide natural filtration for the water. And what I found really interesting, the amazing advocacy work that they're doing around equality throughout Kenya and providing hunger to those throughout Kenya with the school that he started himself. I guarantee you're going to enjoy this conversation. If you're in Kenya, you got to hit up Sammy. I look forward to you guys all letting me know what you think. Take care and keep on SDG Talk. Sammy Mwanja, how you doing? Welcome to the SDG Talks podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, yes. I'm doing well. Good. Where are you located today in the world? I'm based in Africa, Kenya, in a city, a small city called Eldores. And you, you call Eldores? Eldores? How do you say that? Yes, yes, exactly. Eldores. Eldores. And Eldoret. Eldoret. Within Eldoret, within Kenya, yeah. how does the geography and in some of the contexts of within Kenya, define where your community is today within the pursuit of the different SDGs. I know there's a lot of history, there's a lot of a lot of migration, there's a lot of different things that go into it, but for those of us that don't know your area or understand too much about Alorit in Kenya, can okay. you give us some context? Okay, Kenya is, a, is one of the rich country in terms of rain. We receive a lot of rain in a year, uh, especially in some few parts of Kenya, like the northern part of Kenya, that uh, is experience some some that is an, on semi-arid areas. But where I am now, like in Eldoret, is in is a place uh, is in Rift Valley. Rift Valley in this uh, Eldoret is part of the Western Kenya, Western part of Kenya. So we ex- uh, we are in Rift Valley in Kenya. So the rift, we are in, like in the valley. There's some rift down and then we are in the valley. So we, we have different types of climates in some part, but some part of the rift valley. But where I am, we, we receive a lot of rain. People here do a lot of agriculture. They plant maize, they plant wheat, they plant uh, or some some popo. Then also we don't have uh, some agriculture. We we don't have this climate does not favor does not favor some other types of crops or fruits. So 
some of them we plant uh, in the western part of Kenya. So when you are in Eloret, you go this way, it's like you are going the the, the western part of Eloret, uh, Kenya. So that way we there is various types of crops, but here maize, wheat, and popo, some fruits. Yeah. And within that agriculture work, I know you're doing all types of SDG advocacy and, and grassroots work on the ground. Yeah. Within the uh, going after zero hunger and better production of food, distribution and consumption of food, what's some of the work that you're doing and, and some of the best practices that you have from better education of farming or or better getting product to market or what's some of the work that you're doing around that? Okay, like in Eloret, what I'm doing now, I'm doing something called organic farming. Organic farming, like uh, Eloret is a growing town and uh, is uh, is highly populated. And we have some slums around Eloret. So realize I did a research as a way lately, we have a lot of issues to do with health, uh, health issues that comes with the uh, the food you consume every day within the towns, especially the slums, the populated areas. So what I do with the organic farming is that I, I just plant, I plant like crops and vegetables purely on organic farming. I don't do, I don't spray, I don't use artificial farming, I don't uh, use modern farming. This is just to reduce the risk of attracting uh, diseases among the people living in highly populated areas within Eloret. That's amazing. And and I know sometimes you see a lot of modern farming practices that are just trying to pump as much product into the market by putting a lot of fertilizer on there and, and kind of in stripping the soil of a lot of the resources. Um, yes. So are you working with local farmers in kind of helping them, or are you kind of are you bu- you building these organic farms yourself? No, I don't. I I have not been able to work with local farmers uh, simply because uh, the issue when you involve people here are poor, and when you involve them, they want want you to uh, they want you they like they want payment from you. So I do this small scale organic farming. And I involve the children I'm helping around. I involve the the women around to come and help me. So the produce, the produce is that we get it on the market. Yes. And you you talked about some of the work you do with the youth and some of the local community. What is the organization that you do called? I know my butcher, but Tunami, Tunami, Tunami. Tumaini. 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 Tumaini, yes. What does Tumaini mean, and um, okay. and what is the work that you do with Tumaini? Okay, Tumaini means hope. Tumaini is a is a is a Kiswahili is a Kiswahili word meaning hope, hope in English. So, I came up with this organization to keep hope uh, to children, to keep hope in children from marginalized communities in Kenya, but. On the process, when I was giving hope, because I realized that children, where I come, like when I stay in Eldoret in slums, I realized that children are going hungry without food on a daily basis. They don't have clean water on a daily basis. They don't have even toileting. Like, for example, when they want to go to, to toilet, they go in a dump site. So what I came up, I came up with a simple program 
to feed them. Then I also realized that feeding them is not enough because they don't have education. Some of them, they were street children. They are dumped on the streets. Some of them, they were coming from single parenthood. So they could not even go to school. So I started now looking on offering education opportunities for them. And it was really overwhelming And I, until I started uh, a small skill to absorb them. So I started doing both. Now I started empowering women where these children are coming from so that they can have a living, they can have a skill, they can, have, they can be mentored too so that they can take care of their children when they are coming to school. Yes. You bring up a good point where it's not just one SDG. Or it's not just, hey, let's give to this organization or this population food and everything will be fine. There's yeah. a need for food. There's a need for water. There's it, a need for education. There's a need for education. electricity. There's a need yes, for every yes. single basic need as well as some yeah. of the, the other wants and needs yeah. to help develop society. And so I like your holistic approach in terms of looking yeah. at it from more than just a, a food standpoint. So you tell me a little bit yeah. more about that from how are you getting the youth involved and, and what are you doing to create opportunities or safe environments for youth empowerment? Okay. The youth, for example, right now, I've been targeting the Western part of Kenya. I've been involving myself in repairing uh, spring waters. Like I realized in Western Kenya, people are sickly. They have typhoid, they have malaria, they have all types of diseases that come from dirty water. So what I've been doing lately is that I get youth involved in, when I go identify a spring, I ask for the youth within that community to volunteer, to help me remove the dirt, do some basic work around there. Then I also ask them to help me plant trees around the spring water to make the environment clean. So that is how I've been involving the youth in my projects. And another thing is that I've been also offering a basic mentorship program for them. I give them counseling advice. And uh, some, at some point, I also try to get opportunities for them to connect them to uh, short-skilled opportunities where they can learn some basic skills, yes. That's amazing. And I think a lot of people, it's, it's great to know that you're doing certain things like Adopting natural and best practices by planting trees. Trees, in a lot of ways, are great for removing carbon from the from the air, but also to act as natural buffers to help clean water as they go down to the goes down to the aquifer and that, that you end up consuming it. So, again, similar yeah. to what you're talking about with organic farming, very simple practices like planting trees and getting people involved is a great method of youth empowerment. So, props to you on that. I love that. And so I know you, you do also other work, uh, again, uh, around climate change and, and just also equality. Tell me a little bit about the work that you do, maybe from an equality standpoint, of how you go about encouraging, whether it's education or tangible steps to ensure there's equality amongst boy, girl, you know, no, any gender that, uh, that exists within your community. Okay, I've been doing an advocacy, advocacy program concerning that and I've been telling I've been telling young men in Kenya especially the, those who are limited to opportunities like education that that it is important for them to go to school education is not for boy it's not for girls it's for all of them so 
when one goes to school, get education, he or she will be empowered in one way or the other. We get skills, and this skill will help her or him to get employed or to do something practically to earn a living. So my agenda on this is that I've been trying to give equal opportunities for them to advise them to go to school and connect them to uh, various institutions that support the children, like programs for, for the less privileged, those who don't have opportunities in the society. And that is what I've been doing, my brother, to, to make sure that uh, at least these young men, they are equally the same, uh, acquired skills the same, have education the same, and doing things are the same. It's amazing. And yeah, it doesn't come, a female getting education or advancing doesn't come at the expense of a male or vice versa. Yes. There's plenty yes, of opportunity yes. out there. And frankly, when when we have more capable, knowledgeable people in the workforce, it's better for everyone. Yes. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. And and so within your work within El Lerit and in uh, Chumaini, within your organization, what What's it been like within the challenges of of COVID nineteen? I know that's made a made it challenging for everyone to do what we want to do. But how have you been able to evolve and adapt and still provide these services that you're doing to those in your community? We have had a lot of challenges surrounding my organization in terms of when the pandemic came up sometimes all this year. And uh, it has been really rough for us, even accessing to funding, it has been a challenge. Doing our programs has been a challenge. Like right now, we have been raising some money to get masks for the children, which also has been a challenge because getting the money to do the the masks is, is a challenge. Getting the soap is a challenge. And uh, having in mind that where I work is a slum, so majority of the people expect more on you than them. So they expect you to do more for them. So it has been really challenged, especially in terms of resources, because they are not enough. Yeah, it seems there's always never enough. And I think with within the dynamic of working in a slum, give us some more context on that. I mean, for for some of us that have never been to a slum or don't know what it's like, what are some of these challenges that you face in terms of the the local population embracing the support you want to do, um, but also just trying to bring services to them be pre or post COVID? Give okay. can you give okay. us some context and paint that picture a little bit? One of the challenges is that uh, uh, we have a lot of population. There's high population, so the high population. This means that even we have a lot of a lot of children in the slums of Eldoret right now, who are just meandering around, walking around without doing anything. So this is this is really a challenge because collecting these children, putting them in one place and talking to them is highly a challenge. Another challenge is that in the slums, there is a poor hygiene in the slums. We don't have good toileting in the slums. So as I mentioned that uh, even the children opt to go in a dumping site, for a toilet, when they want to help themselves, they go in dumping sites because there is no proper toileting where I come from, where we are doing this program. Also, we have shortage of water supply 
we don't have good system of water supply within within Elorich because uh, water is being rationed in highly populated areas in Elorich. And sometimes you, meet, you find that people can go without even a week without water. This is also a challenge. And then we have a lot of challenge because children are not, a lot of children are on the streets. They are busy going outside collecting. You find children, a group of children like 10 or 5 or 10 or 15, they are, they are walking around in the streets collecting plastics to sell so that they can get something to feed their, their siblings because life is a bit hard on them. Yes. What have you found that's been successful to win over some people in the slum in terms of getting them to buy into some of your advocacy around health and education and equality? What are some of these things that you've done, that your organization has done successfully to help get buy-in? Because I know there, it's, a, it's a struggle to get some to get others to do something different, especially if they need to do something different or if they need to pay for it a little bit. So what? how have you overcome traditional ways of doing stuff to improve the lives of others? You are trying to ask that what I've been doing that has made me to succeed. Exactly. Or what? Yes. Okay. For example, I realized the challenge in this in this way, in, in this slum, is called Mailine slum, is that the issue is that we have a lot of children who don't go to school. We started a small school to absorb these children. And we have been doing so to motivate them to come to school. We have been feeding them. We have been giving them porridge. I don't know if you understand porridge. Feeding them porridge. We feed them on, on lunchtime basis. It's like we introduced a feeding program, a free feeding program, so that we can motivate them to becoming uh, in our school program so that we can use that as a loophole to change their lives and their mentality so that they can redeem their, their dignity. It, that's amazing. And it, it seems like if you can provide the resources from a, a roof and comfort and food, you're going to win over, they, whether they say it in America or around the world, hearts and minds, or if you can make them feel comfortable and you can make them feel safe and you give them opportunity, you start to win over these hearts and minds of people. And it yeah, seems like yeah. by providing a school, that's been one thing that you've been able to do to help win over yeah. some of these hearts and minds. And so within that school, interested in a little bit more about that, is how many kids are in the school and and sort of how how does the school operate? And you can tell us a little bit more about the school. Okay, we have a total number of uh, 119, 119 children who come to our school. These children are on a daily feeding program. And uh, how the school works is that we have around 80% uh, of the children who come in the school. Some of them, their parents are a bit able, they can uh, afford to, to buy something. They no, I mean, they cannot, uh, they cannot afford to buy something. But the rest of the 20% of the total children in the school, at least they can give out something so that whatever we receive from them, we multiply so that we can we can feed these others and help these others. So we have introduced a preschool. We have a preschool where we we teach these uh, children. We just give them the basic education skills 
we teach them. We have a, a staff around of seven, eight staff who help to uh, teach them. Then also we have been hoping to start up a, a, a small library whereby these children, we can keep them. They can come and read stories within the school. They can, with the, maybe with the, being assisted with their teachers or librarian around them. And that is how we have been operating the school. So as I've said, maybe you don't, you didn't got the point clear is that the around 20% of the total number of the children, they can afford to pay something. But 80 are on a free program. We educate them free, we feed them free, and even to an extent, we go to an extent buying them school uniforms. And where are you getting the funding to help provide the free services to those who cannot pay? That is, that's where a challenge comes now. We have had a lot of challenges in terms of funding. When I was starting, I used to get some uh, individual donations from a few people, like uh, two people in the U.S., who are donating uh, around $50 a month to feed them. But, uh, you know, our needs are overwhelming and are on a daily basis. So they go tired. So what we have been doing, like we have been having a lot of challenges, even experiencing doing this program. Sometimes the local community have, have voluntarily come in to come and support us, but their support is very little. It cannot meet the needs of the children. Well, I'm hopeful that with this podcast platform and our evolution to being more than just an awareness platform, but also a fundraising platform, we, we want to help provide resources to the organization that you're, that you're running because it's extremely important. And we, the, the children and those, those in need just need that little bit of resources to be able to move forward and learn a little bit and get better every day. So I'm hopeful that this will be a good good springboard for that. And we, we will obviously talk more about that later. But with a couple kind of couple end of end of the minutes here in the podcast, I'm interested in in two questions. And they're kind of generic, but they're they're open ended. What is something that you're most excited about yes. in regards to the SDGs? Is the first question. And the second question is, what are you most afraid about and scared about in regards to the SDGs? Oh. <laughs> so most excited oh, okay. and I'm, most I'm, afraid. Okay, I'm, I'm really excited about, uh, about the SDGs because uh, I have seen and I've read. I have seen uh, an individual in Kenya. I saw it on TV. She, I don't know, she won a program on, uh, on UN or something. She did something. And then the UN recognized her. So that is, that's the most exciting thing that if I do this, maybe someone somewhere will notice what I'm doing. Then just come to appreciate me or just come and hold me a hand and say, you are doing a good job. And then the most afraid thing about uh, SDG is that, uh, you know, most people in Africa, they don't believe they have less belief about SDGs. So when you try to to educate them about the SDGs, they feel like you are enrolling them into something else they don't know. So that is that is part of the belief in an African system. It's in African countries, not even in Kenya alone. People feel, those who have not understood about the SDGs, they feel like, what is it about you're telling us? 
Yeah. Yeah, well put. Well, first, I acknowledge and appreciate and love the work that you're doing within the SDGs. And I know everyone in the community and everyone in the world is grateful for your selfless and tireless work. So thank you. And then on the afraid side, I, I would agree with that in that you have some people that are just in their ways. They wake up and they do their normal lives and nothing really, this doesn't really matter to them because if their life isn't impacted by hunger or food or, or lack of education, they don't really care. And the SDGs is a framework to define these problems, which also give us the opportunity for solutions moving forward. And yeah. it's really, when I, I read the 2030 agenda, it is so meticulous in terms of the outlining of the 17 goals to capture these problems. So I'm excited about the work that you're doing because you touch on so many of them. But even yeah. you, even just El Lorette, that's that's one small, medium community within Kenya. You know, and Kenya is yeah. a big country. The world yeah. is a big place. And so, so we need, we need more of this. And, um, I'd like to hear kind of one, I know I just asked you what you're excited about and afraid about, but if you had to give us one sort of final thought, a suggestion or an idea, uh, but one kind of Sammy from the heart talking, what's kind of a final thought around the SDGs or your work that you would like to leave us here with today? Oh, okay. So I realized when I was reading about the SDGs, about the 17 sustainable goals, and uh, I read about the African culture and how people believe and why people doesn't believe in, in these SDGs. I realized that people lack knowledge about this, uh, these programs. They don't, some of them don't. Like in Kenya, we don't have a, a, a really awareness about SDGs. We have heard some, but uh, they are done by individual organizations, which cannot uh, sometimes cover a lot of um, what? A lot of uh, masses, and also the government of Kenya is also doing the same. But the issue of maybe is a bit tricky. It's a bit tricky in Kenya because the government of Kenya is doing, but in a slow pace. In a slow pace. So what comes from my heart to about the SDG is that if I will get because I have a heart to teach the masses about the SDGs. But now I look myself, I'm really struggling. I look myself, I don't have opportunities around. I don't have resources around to do this. So it limits me. But if I had an opportunity, I could have organized an event and teach people on SDGs and educate the young men, the importance of climate change, the importance of education, the importance of, so that everyone know that there is something going on in Kenya. Yeah. Very well put. And I, I couldn't agree more. And, and you are a, a force of good and, and you are putting so much positive energy into the world around you. And I know I also wake up sometimes where I feel like I'm banging my head against the wall and making no progress. But sometimes yeah. you got to take a step back and, and not look necessarily day to day, but look month to month, every quarter, every six months and and know that if you keep working every day towards it, you'll keep making baby steps and um, don't ever give up. I love the work you're doing and I can't wait to continue to learn more and see what's ahead for you and your organization. And, and lastly, continue to raise funds and awareness for your work because it's important and we need more of it. And so on behalf of uh, the SDG Talks community, Sammy, thank you. And I, I'm really excited to see what's next for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I also want to thank you for, for this little time. 
you have given me is, is an opportunity, opportunity I've been looking away to have it, but God has done it. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Your accent was well. I will hear you well. I appreciate that. Also, I want to say thank you. I hope one day you'll have an opportunity to come to Kenya. And I also will have an opportunity to travel over there. It's a country I've admired for a very long time. <laughs> to we're gonna, come to. We're, we're going to have to do a home and away where you come to Chicago and, and, I, and I come to Kenya. Yes, yes. So I appreciate that, brother. Thank you so much. Hey, we'll be in touch. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the SDG Talks podcast. Make sure to check out all the show notes for relevant links from this show. Please share and follow SDG Talks on social media and stay tuned for updates from the Unleash and United Nations community. The goal of the SDG Talks is to bring you good content. So if you want to learn about something specific or have suggestions, please let us know. We look forward to seeing you next time on SDG Talks.